0: Our scripture reading this morning is Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will scream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's the word of God. Amen.
1: Good 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 morning. How's everybody today? Everybody still full from Thursday? Yeah, me too. Well, now we're in Advent, and now we wait. And we wait, and we wait. And when you're little, that's really, really hard to do. Sometimes when you're big, it's really, really hard to do, too. Hmm? And so, I want to ask you, how many of you like to play board games? Yeah, they're a lot of fun. But it's really hard to wait till you win, right? Some games, like Monopoly, go on forever and you don't think you're ever going to get to the end and win, right? At least that is when I play. I always like, oh, come on, I want to win, I want to get boardwalk, I want to I win. Well, it doesn't always happen, and sometimes that's not so good. Well, I thought about Advent, and how it's hard to wait, and how it's exciting to win, and I thought about a board game that can help me talk about our Isaiah passage today. Have any of you ever played Chutes and Ladders? Yeah, it's a great game. It's a lot of fun. Um, It's pretty easy, so little kids can play it. But big kids can play it too. You have a spinner, and you have your little people, and you have your board game. And the object of this game is to get from square one down here. Hmm, I wonder if that's where we start with square one. Hmm. And to get to square 100 at the top. And you spin the spinner, and it tells you how many places to move. And if you're really lucky, you'll land on a ladder. And if you land on a ladder, you follow the ladder to the new space. And you get to skip all those other spaces. This ladder's really awesome. If you get on square 29, you go all the way to 84. That's pretty amazing. And that reminds me of Isaiah talking about us climbing the mountain to worship God. We're trying to get up here to worship God. But... Sometimes we hit these squiggles. Those are shoots, otherwise known as slides. Has anybody ever ridden on a sliding board? Yeah. Well, you start at the top and you slide down pretty fast. I know I've taken Ben to the playground and kids try to climb up the slides. It doesn't work too well, but it works really well going down. And sometimes, if you get on this square here, 87, you're almost up here to 100. But what happens... It brings you all the way down to 24. We have got to start over. And that reminds me that although Isaiah is talking about us climbing the mountain to get to God, sometimes we make mistakes, and sometimes we slip, and sometimes we fall. But he also reminds us that we have a God who is gracious, a God who has given us forgiveness through Jesus. And through Jesus, we have hope that we will be able to worship on that mountain. We'll get to that square. It may take us a lot of tries to get there, but we gotta keep moving forward. And we, gotta, we can do it with his help. So if you have shoots and ladders and you play it this week, think about climbing those ladders, getting to the mountain to worship. But if we fall, it's okay. Just get back up and keep going because we're forgiven already Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we have this time of preparation, time to look at our failings, our areas that need to be improved, so that we can continue climbing that mountain, climbing those ladders, so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. So we thank you for Jesus and the forgiveness he brings and the hope that he brings, that one day we will be with you on that mountain, worshiping and singing your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's
2: pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If I say the term mountaintop experience, which I did in the title, <laughs> you can see in your bulletin. Um, what does that mean? Have you heard that phrase before? The best, what the, a great experience. Ecstasy. Okay, let's do it again. If you've had a mountaintop experience, you usually want another mountaintop experience. Um, <coughs> Have any of you ever had a mountaintop experience? Yes. Okay. Um, There are some in the Bible that we can read about, too, people having them. Um, Moses had one, you could say. He was up on the mountain for a long time, and he got the Ten Commandments and the plans for the tabernacle and all kinds of things on his mountaintop experience. His was a high-content mountaintop experience. Elijah had a mountaintop experience. He had two. He had the one where the showdown between God and the prophets of Baal, and God sent down fire, and the prophets of Baal couldn't. Do, the gods, Baal, Baal, the god, couldn't do anything because he wasn't really a god. Um, and then <coughs> after that, Elijah got depressed and went off by himself onto the mountain of the Lord and met with God there. His experience on the mountaintop didn't have as much content. It was, um, he did hear a still small voice, but not as much words. It was more an experience of God. Um, you, we could say that Peter, James, and John had a mountaintop experience when they saw Jesus transfigured before them. <coughs> and, <coughs> I'm sorry, I, ever since COVID, this cough will not go away. Um, Anyway, there are mountaintop experiences in the Bible, and we can still have them today. But how long does a mountaintop experience usually last? Do we know? Not long enough. enough. (laughs) That seems unanimous here. Um, Maybe we could say Moses had a 40-day one. That's pretty long. Probably some of these other guys, just a few minutes but not forever, not long enough. All right, so I am going to do a little backtracking. Actually, it's kind of a lot of backtracking. Can anybody remember way back to the beginning of the year when I taught you two crazy words that we never use in day-to-day life? No. (laughs) That might be you when I'm preaching, (laughs) but not catatonic. You're on the right track, though. Cata. Close. Cataphatic. Cataphatic. and Oh, Bernice is looking at her notes. That's good. I'm glad someone. Yes, cataphatic and apophatic. Okay, does anybody remember what those mean? You never thought I was going to bring this back up, did you? (laughs) <laughs> we'll call it out if you want. <laughs> That's good. Yes, you're both right. Ron, you're t- you're right too. So, what Bernice said was cataphatic is what God is is wh- what God is and apophatic is what God is not. And Ron was saying one is kind of more nebulous and floaty and hard to define or, or put a handle on, and the other is more concrete. Um, both of those things are true. They basically, we can simplify that, those concepts for ourselves by saying apophatic, apophatic is kind of disembodied existence and, versus embodied existence, which is cataphatic, or the indescribable versus the describable. So in terms of God, there are some things about God that we can describe because the Bible tells us about him and we can discern some things and we have experiences of God ourselves and so we can describe some things about God, but God is more than those things. We'll never be able to fully describe God. We'll never be able to fully wrap our minds around God and that is the apophatic part. Um, We might even simplify it. This isn't exactly right, but we we might think of it in terms of the spiritual versus the physical. So sometimes I think, when we talk about mountaintop experiences, we're thinking of something that happens to us that is more apophatic. We would have a hard time describing exactly what it was about that experience that was so meaningful. If you described the, what happened to somebody else, they would just be like, Okay, that's nice, right? But they wouldn't understand why it was so life-changing or pivotal or amazing to you. And so I think a lot of times, to many people, even Christians, the ideal mountaintop experience for us would be totally disembodied because... Our bodies are complicated. Our bodies hurt; they wear down. We get a crazy virus, and then we cough forever. <laughs> After that, apparently, um, it's not fun. I feel fine, except I keep—I can't stop coughing. And so we don't—and we don't always like our bodies, right? Plus, so much evil and so much hardship happens in this life, if it's not happening to us, it's happening to somebody we know, it's happening around the world, and we cannot imagine, because we have never experienced this, we can't imagine what it would be like to be a physical being without the effects of sin in play, whether it is um, direct sin, oppression, or, um, or something like that, or whether it's just the brokenness in the world that sin has started. And times like this, seasons like this, holiday seasons, remind us how complicated it is to be embodied. Sometimes, even last week, some of us might have had a difficult holiday because there, there's sickness and then there's family dysfunction and then things don't go the way we planned and it just gets really complicated. And so I think One of the reasons probably why two of you said mountaintop experiences don't last long enough is because there's something about them that we feel takes us out of our bodies and we can forget all that, pardon the language, but crap that happens all the rest of the time. So God, though, envisions a different type of mountaintop experience. And it's described in this passage that Paul read for us in Isaiah. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. So back at the beginning of the year, when we were talking about apophatic and cataphatic things, um, what... What was the big overarching theme that we were talking about? Anyone remember the series? No, okay, that's fine. Temple, we talked about the temple and how God's concept of the temple, the Bible's concept of the temple is the merging of the heavens and the earth. It is really the reconciliation of our apophatic experience and our cataphatic experience It's a reconciliation of the heavens and the earth. It's a reconciliation of all nations. It's our union with God. This is temple. This is what God is trying to accomplish from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. And so I don't know if any of you have ever thought about the idea that God might have a Christmas wish list. But I think he might. And so, and I suspect that at the top of his Christmas wish list is a mountaintop experience for himself, for God's self, with humans, the temple, the complete reconciliation of the heavens and the earth. And so this picture that gets painted in Isaiah is of the the temple, the place of the union with God and people is up high where everybody can see it. And all the nations are participating. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. People are excited to go there to meet with God. They're talking to each other. Come on, let's go, let's go. It's not like, I have to go to church, and I really should bring a friend to church. I guess I'm going to invite my friend, because... Because I just said in my my new membership vows that I was going (laughs) to try to bring people to church or I was going to try to share about Jesus. I guess I have to. No, people are excited. Let's go. Come on, let's go. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. God wants to actually himself teach us his ways and we will cooperate with him and we will want to learn God's ways and will want to do them. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. God will be the standard of goodness, of morality, of righteousness. It's not us trying to figure it out, it's not us trying to decide. The law will go out directly from the place where God is, from the temple, and God himself will be that standard. God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. True justice between peoples and for people. This is what God wants at the top of his mountain. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Can you even imagine that? We're just, right, we're, we're watching wars go on right now that it doesn't seem like there could possibly be any end to. But God wants to bring true peace. And so this short little piece of Isaiah wraps up with, Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. God himself is the light that people will see by. <coughs> so, How do we give God what he wants for Christmas? Be peacemakers. peacemakers. That's good. And here's the start. This comes from the responsive reading that we read with Paul Psalm 122. Pray for, in this case it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I think we can expand that in this post-death and resurrection of Christ era. And say, yes, let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the worldwide church. Pray for peace in the church, because there's kind of not peace in the church either these days, or maybe ever. I don't know if you've noticed. May those who love you be secure. That is what we're praying for. The this is what we pray when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. I think that we can pray this for all the people of God. Why do we pray for the peace of Jerusalem? For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So how do we seek the prosperity of the community of God? Love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, we live it. We live the prosperity of the kingdom of God, the community of God, by allowing God to transform us from the inside out. This is not some kind of church, is not supposed to be some kind of place where either we just come and socialize and make ourselves feel good and then go home. It's also not supposed to be a place where we find out we're doing everything wrong and then we go home and try to fix it. That doesn't work. You cannot be transformed by imposing something from the outside onto yourself if this part isn't different. So we come together to study the Word together, to listen to God together, to listen to each other, so that God can start to change how we see the world. So that when we see the world differently, we start to act in the world differently. This is how we seek the prosperity of the community of God, and by doing that, we end up seeking the prosperity of all of the world. In Romans 13, to 14, which is another passage for today, but didn't fit in the service, <laughs> so I'm just going to read it to you. Um, it says this. This is, how, this is one way to describe how we seek the prosperity of the community of God. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation, salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. from maybe a couple weeks ago. You might think that the same guy wrote this passage as the one from the day that Maddie got baptized. (laughs) Um, That's because he did. The Apostle Paul wrote both of those things. Um, He is talking about this is how we live the transformation that God is doing in our lives so that it makes a difference in the world around us. So like I said, and like we've all been saying, it is Advent now. And the fact is, not just in Advent, but all year long, God's people, wherever they are, live in a condition of what I sometimes call, and other people sometimes call, already, not yet. At many periods of church history, including our own, there are two temptations for Christians in how to live this. We can live by focusing almost entirely on the already or almost entirely on the not yet. So if you focus on the already, you're focused on the fact that when Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God is within you. And so, and in Ephesians we talked about recently, the Holy Spirit is in us, empowering us to live the kingdom life. And so, if the kingdom is here already, we don't need to focus so much on future times. We need to pay attention to how we're living as kingdom people now. Let's work for it. Let's work for the justice and the peace that is recorded in this Isaiah passage. Let's take the call to wake up Seriously, I want to put a little note in here because I feel like there are some in I haven't heard this conversation a whole lot in our church, but I hear it a lot in other churches. Um, That the term that I'm sure we've all heard, woke, actually comes from the Bible, and it comes from this Romans passage the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. There are some biblical. Underpinnings to a lot of what you might call woke um, perspectives in our day and age. The way they play out is not necessarily godly, but we let's all of us be careful not to to make things too black and white because there is a kernel of godliness in. Most of these things, even if the way that it plays out in the world, because the focus is not God, it's the issues, um, it becomes very ungodly. So this focus on the kingdom is already here, the focus on already tends to take this call to wake up seriously. But here's the downside to focusing on already all the time. We forget, and this is the problem with the woke movement, Um, that probably many people have not even acknowledged God in, Um, we forget that it is God, and only God, who can accomplish the justice and peace that God longs for on the mountaintop. God wants to accomplish this through his people, but we cannot do it without him. And... If we try to make kingdom work happen through our own efforts and leave God out, it is just going to turn into another version of empire, which we talked about a lot last year, not kingdom. Just a different type of expression of it, but without God, it will just be the same thing. Another downside to only focusing on already is if we wake up to injustice without... What this passage actually says, waking up to our salvation and God's righteous ways of living. What Paul says in this passage is, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We talked about the armor of light two weeks ago. If we only wake up to injustice and oppression, which we need to do, but only that we can miss... It's like if you get up and you forget to put your glasses on and you can only see the things at a certain distance from your face and there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on and you can't actually live functionally in the kingdom. The other downside to... Only focusing on what God has already accomplished is forgetting or ignoring that Jesus is really coming back someday. And some people have taken this so far as to decide they don't even believe he's coming back someday. All we have is just us bringing the kingdom ourselves. And why can't everybody else get on board? We become miserable, nasty people trying to do good work. I don't know if you've noticed no matter what kind of good work you're trying to do, no matter who you are, people who do that without the love of God in their lives are kind of not nice. (laughs) They're really kind of miserable. And it's because we're just, our goodness doesn't activate very well without the spirit of God helping to make it happen. So other people focus almost entirely on the not yet. We are very, very aware that the world is still a gigantic mess. We're looking forward to Jesus returning and making it right. We know that Jesus came and he lived and he died on the cross and he rose back to life and that's where our hope is and we just focus on that and wait in hope for his return to fix everything. The downside to this focus is we forget that not only did Jesus already come and live and die and rise, and rise from the dead, but he also already came one time and did actually, in reality, bring the kingdom into this world by his spirit in his people. His kingdom is already here in us, and so we had better live like that's true. He did not go through all of that just so we could sit on our butts and wait for him to come back, or even so that we could... I was just reading a book last night where somebody described that version of Christianity as passing out heaven barcodes, like just evangelism turns into... This is how you get the barcode. It'll scan. You'll get into heaven when you die. In the meantime, we just got to put up with this mess. That's not a complete and full living out of the kingdom of God that God has already accomplished. Another downside to this not yet focus is waiting around for Jesus to come back and fix everything without allowing him to transform us and. Through us, transform the world systems around us. God really wants us to make a difference in the world right now before He returns. He really actually cares about the environment. He really actually cares about oppressed people groups. We, there are ways for Christians to be morally faithful and socially just. And this is what God wants. But most Christians, in most times, focus on one or the other. And Advent is the season where we come to terms with both. Jesus already came and already established his kingdom in his people, but Jesus has not yet come the second time and has not yet fully reconciled and healed all things. In fact... Part of the reconciliation that we're waiting for is the reconciliation of the already and the not yet into the now. I think we will experience time in a completely different way when Jesus returns, and it will always be now, and it won't be this split-apart existence that we live in so many ways. At Advent, we remember the people before us who waited for millennia for the Messiah to come the first time. And as we remember those people, and as we remember Jesus' first coming, we also remember what is already true. The Messiah already came. God already became one of us in the person of Jesus. The price for our sin has already been paid. When we trust in Jesus, when we trust in his death and his resurrection on the cross, we are already saved. Through the Holy Spirit's spiritual DNA transplant, which we imagined last sermon series, in our spirits, we are already empowered to live kingdom lives. As we do that, the kingdom of the heavens, or the kingdom of God, the mountaintop existence, is already here. But on the other hand, things are still not as they should be, or even as they ultimately will be. Are all the nations, or even our own nation, streaming to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob? No. Not yet. Are we all always allowing God to teach us his ways so we may walk in his paths? Not yet. Are our people done fighting with each other? Not yet. <laughs> the Messiah has already come but he has not yet come to finally fulfill everything that God set in place when God created humans, when God called Abraham, when God set Jacob apart and his descendants. We haven't even seen all of the things fulfilled when God came here in person and lived among humans and was crucified, died, and was buried. We haven't even seen the full fulfillment when Jesus was resurrected back to life. At Advent, we celebrate God's already arrival among us. God is here. He's here. He's here. We've seen God at work in this church a lot, especially this year. God is doing great things. And we recommit ourselves at Advent to letting God change us to look more and more like Jesus, to look more and more like a kingdom outpost in the already. So I'm going to ask you to take a couple seconds, and we're just going to sit here quietly. I don't want you to answer out loud. But sit with God for a little bit and ask God, "How how God do you want to transform me? At Advent we also learn to look forward to, learn to long for, Jesus' not yet return. Because someday it will be yet. So now take a couple seconds and think about how might I grow in my longing for Jesus and for his return. Let's live in hope of God's return to his people, of all of us streaming to his mountain for an eternal, never-ending, mountaintop experience of loving God, being loved by God, learning from God, and living like God, being full of his righteousness and justice, and living at peace with him and each other. Come, descendants of Jacob, Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen.